Network is reporting several Dallas Cowboys players, including Ezekiel Elliott, tested positive for COVID-19. CBS 11 Sports reached out to the Cowboys for comment. They say, quote, due to federal and local privacy laws, we are unable to provide information regarding the personal health of any of our employees. So you just heard recent headlines where Ezekiel Elliott has coronavirus. This is kind of funny because it's the first time we're hearing about coronavirus in a couple weeks and it kind of reminds you that like we are still in the midst of a global pandemic when the biggest athletes with the most resources are still getting this. So John, what are your thoughts? I mean, I'm just a little bit unsure about how this is going to affect the league going forward because we got, you know, a little bit more less than three months now until the season is scheduled to start. The recovery time for coronavirus is, you know, a few weeks. So will this really affect the league? Are we going to start seeing more players get it? There have been reports that he was not training in the Cowboys facility recently. On to your point, John. So he probably hasn't shared it with the rest of his team. Drew, what do you think? Well, I seem to remember a certain Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott throwing a party about a month ago Uh with the rest of the Cowboys players, if you guys saw this. So, I mean, but it was a month ago, so you have to think that it's probably not not the cause. And it's probably not transmitted. It probably wasn't transmitted there, I yeah, guess. It's a little bit but, longer, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, because it was so long ago. But, I mean, also, if they had a party, who's to say that they haven't been seeing each other and hanging out and training? Like, I think you're going to see a problem in all the leagues. I think you still really haven't seen any, just any uh, solution found for when athletes get diagnosed with coronavirus and, and they test positive for it. Are they going to have to sit out for two weeks? Because that is a huge deal. Drew, on to your point, I think it's going to be treated as almost a DL, or maybe you'll have an IR in football, whatever the terminology they use for it is. I think you're just going to have an expanded area where you can put players for a couple weeks as they're recovering from corona, because you obviously can't have them coming into your facilities. Of course, I like that, but what I'm saying is, I mean, also, the NFL, first of all, you'll be missing, like, two games. That's a significant portion of the season. Do you get paid for those? Do you get paid for those games? That's one thing, which, I mean, I feel like it's only fair that you do. But also, the the other thing I'm thinking about is what about with the NBA, potentially? And if they're coming back, they have series going on. That whole series is done in two weeks. So what if LeBron goes down for a series or something like that? You're looking at a major, major issue right there. John, do you think the players should get paid? If they're out for Corona, yeah, I think they, I think they do need to be paid. Honestly, they deserve that. I mean, just like anybody else who's injured in in any other sport, they still get paid for the games that they miss, right? Yeah, of course, John. I mean, they still, you still get paid every time, like every time you get injured. Which is what I'm saying is that it is the same thing, coronavirus. But then to add on to Lucas's point, which is an interesting wrinkle, if they add a coronavirus disabled list let's say then they could potentially have all new rules for that coronavirus list where your pay is either docked down or completely taken away for me personally it comes down to a sport by sport basis you have sports like the nfl where players have in their contract if they get injured and different stipulations for not getting paid so i think that sport can handle 
cutting pays salaries on the coronavirus completely different than other sports. Furthermore, they can just cut a player at any time who has coronavirus if they're not deemed a valuable asset to their team. So I think the NFL is completely different from a sport where the MLB, where they could be playing 50 games and a player goes out for a week and he misses two or three games. It's like not worth cutting him. You should be paying him. When MLB players get injured, they still get paid. Their contracts are guaranteed. I think it's a tricky situation because you have guys at the bottom of the roster, whether it's the 53rd man on a 53 NFL team roster or the 39th man on a 40-team MLB roster, where if they get corona, it's almost more beneficial to the team to cut that player instead of paying them for two weeks and bringing in another player who can be on the field right right away. I mean, especially in the NFL, you do see that a lot. Like, whenever backup players or whatever, they get, you know, I mean, especially with, like, running backs, you see it. Their tan- if their hamstring tightens up, they'll be on the street by next week. Like that's just the way it goes. I mean, I don't see teams. Or what about like kickers? If your kicker gets coronavirus, are you really going to be paying your long snapper? Yeah, exactly. I want to touch on a point Drew made earlier, which kind of struck me and has just been settling a little bit about what happens if LeBron James or another player of his magnitude gets corona mid-season, mid-playoff series, whatever it may be, do you continue the series? How do you evaluate? (laughs) Where's the fairness? I don't know, John. You got anything? I, Drew, I personally think that 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 just has to ruin. That would kind of ruin it, don't you think? Yeah, one hundred. I mean, then there would then there would be legitimate claims for the asterisks yeah. next to the championship. I was joking with somebody that their biggest free agent acquisition is Carlos Beltran. <laughs> uh, you know, he. I know how it works. You know, he, he he's helping a lot. You know, they're they're paying attention to details, and we have to clear clean our details. So Drew and John, you just heard Alex Cora talking after the Red Sox played the Yankees a while back. And he mentioned how Carlos Beltran was a pretty big acquisition in the in the front office. And they had a little history together on the Astros. And he was saying that, you know, maybe the Red Sox going forward are going to have to change some things up. So, to me at least, there was a some pretty clear knowledge that both of these teams knew that there was something a little fishy going on. Drew, what are your thoughts? I mean, there's a lot of talk about about details. Details, details. I wonder what these details could be. <laughs> I mean, we all knew it was happening. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's funny to see because obviously Cora and Beltron were there in Houston together during the, the 2017 debacle. That happened, and uh, and it is known that Cora, that Beltron and Cora were both kind of uh, guys who, who started it. They were they were they played very important roles in the cheating scandal, and then both obviously went to organizations that have now been wrapped up in in some sign stealing scandals. And this one was covered up, apparently. Yeah, Drew. So you kind of hinted a little bit about that, but can you go on a little more about? The cover-up with the Yankees and the cheating that was announced? So it just came out that there was a letter that the Yankees and MLB both wanted sealed from an investigation in 2017. And the 2017 investigation, what they released, they released most of the letter, and they pretty much said that the Yankees did not do anything sign-stealing-wise, like anything really bad, 
all that they did was like there was some mess ups with like they were calling the media room or or little things like that where it was like I mean you shouldn't have done that but we can't really punish you but now it's been released the judge just said that the the letter or whatever after he went through it he said that that letter that what they released is not at all like it doesn't at all show what the investigation actually found and that the whole letter has to be released and so the MLB and the Yankees are both trying to keep it under wraps everyone's kind of like all right why don't you just release it if it's not that big of a deal if it wasn't sign stealing Drew that's like a really good point you make can you talk a little bit about like the Yankees fans that were going off at the Astros like back in 2017 when yeah, this yeah, yeah. broke. So now now the the Astros fans are kind of getting their revenge and the Astros players as well because they've been getting like absolutely pooped on by Yankees fans for months and months and months over the over this cheating scandal and now finally it's broken that the Yankees were cheating too at the exact same time in the exact same series. So the Yankees in that series when they were playing in Houston for the four games they played in Houston they scored three total runs. In the three games they played in New York they scored 19 runs. <laughs> they sound innocent. Yeah. And, and then the Dodgers, of course, all their fans are kind of sitting over in the corner like, all right, what the hell? Like, when do we get our World Series trophy? Like, now the Yankees don't have a claim to it. But then also, like, the Astros fans and the Astros players going off at, at you know, Yankee supporters and whatnot, it's like, really? Like, <laughs> you're really about to, 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 you know, insult this team, whatever, call them cheaters and whatnot after... You guys just did the exact same thing in the exact same series and won a championship off of it. And also, it makes all the Astros' apologies look like absolute crap. Like, they're meaningless now. Because now they're like, oh, the Yankees, they cheated too, so now we're scot-free. This is why we shouldn't have gotten punished. Like, no, everyone should be getting punished. I can't believe I'm about to say it, but I'm going to say it. This is the first time in my life where I wish Roger Goodell was here. I'll start with you. What is your reaction to what Kyrie and Dwight Howard and several other NBA players have said suggesting that they should not return and resume the season? I completely disagree with them and I think they sound foolish. Let's get this out of the way right now. I've been waiting to talk about this and I can't wait to get into this more heavily on first take. I respect the fact uh, that obviously everything's going on. You can't be a black man and not respect what we're seeing, particularly from these young warriors out here taking to the streets and making sure that they do everything that they can to raise awareness to what's going on and bring attention to it. Uh, but the real work is going to be done by other people within the legal profession and beyond after the awareness is brought to their attention and you buffer them with the level of support monetarily and otherwise that they may require. So in our last podcast, Kyrie Irving was worried about the NBA resuming because he wasn't going to be allowed to go to Orlando even though he was injured. A couple days later, now he doesn't want them to resume at all? He doesn't want anyone going to Orlando. If Kyrie can't have fun, no one can have fun. What is going through this dude's mind? I mean, obviously there's a lot of tension going on in racial about racial injustice in the in the country right now, but I think was there not on Thursday when we dropped this podcast? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? But dude, Kyrie 
No, I Dude, think she's so bipolar. I think it is. I think, despite the fact that NBA basketball will be going on, I don't think it will be as much of a distraction as Kyrie is afraid of, because I think that is more of a platform that he can directly get to to speak uh, to speak out against all the injustice that's been going on. Yeah, John. Like I I see exactly what he's saying and where the sentiment is coming from, but I don't I don't think that like a distraction that historically has been mostly like black players and a lot of black culture and pride and all of that in the NBA. I don't see why shutting that down would be better than than having games and having that platform where everybody who wants to watch sports in the world is watching you. So you have this huge platform to to, to put your message across and to say what you want to say. And I think that that's something that you shouldn't really take for granted, which is almost what it seems like Kyrie is kind of doing with it. Think about the after-game press, Drew. Like, like... I mean, you're going to have all this time post-games to be able to address a lot of the matters that you want to speak. That's going to be a perfect time, even if you don't do anything else on the court. Even if you don't wear an I Can't Breathe shirt, something like that. And I think I think he's also probably worried about the media, potentially. I mean, because I just have this thought right now, it, that the media, if at the post-game press conferences and stuff... If the media's stories and whatnot are more about basketball and they're not getting the story out about the point that they're trying to get across, then I can see I can see what he's worried about. But I mean, I, I just don't see that happening. Lucas, you got anything? Yeah, on to both of your points. I agree with you both, Drew and John. I think that the platform of playing games in front of millions of fans is bigger than the platform they have now as an NBA player player who isn't playing basketball. You get tons of viewers. For me, it comes down to an issue of whether Kyrie Irving looked at this and was like, oh, so I can't go there. It's going to be a huge deal. All of these NBA players are going to get to speak their mind, and because I'm injured and I can't go there, I won't be a huge deal. I won't be the center of attention. I won't be able to have these post-game press conferences in front of all these people. Is there any selfish aspect to that, or am I just like going off a bender here? I mean, I... I don't. I, don't, I want to say that you're going off a bender because I. I obviously don't want to assume that of anybody. But this is Kyrie that we're talking about. I mean, if there's anybody who whose ego would be big enough to, to do something like that, where it's like if I can't make my statement, then no one's allowed to make their statement. Then it would be Kyrie, and, and that's more that's counterproductive. A bold, that's a bold claim, though. I think, dude. I don't know, man. I think. I think it's safe to say that that. He, this is just his reaction to all the injustice going on. I don't yeah, think it's like... I, John, I completely disagree. In three days, he changed his mind completely about wanting to go to Orlando, and he went from wanting to go down there, even though he's injured, and not play, even though also he's supposedly close enough to being healthy to play. And now he's not allowed to go because he's injured, and all of a sudden now he doesn't want anyone to go. It's like... That's why I, I want to say that like that's not true and like I don't I mean I I want to stick in me is, yeah. is wanting to believe that I think on to both your points Drew and John it's more about because we know who Kyrie is if this was a different player raising these concerns we would probably feel different comes down to the point of does Kyrie care more about basketball or his personal goals aside from basketball 
And I think time and time again, he's shown that he cares more about his personal goals. And this isn't wrong to care about your personal goals in a situation and, and, like this. And let me really quickly say that by personal goals, of course, you don't mean the movement's goals and whatnot. Just his ability to say his statement, his whatever he wants to exactly, say. Exactly, yeah. Thank you for that Like very yeah. important clarification. Uh, this has nothing to do with the movement. This is Kyrie as a human and what we've observed over and over and yeah, over it's again. the team versus Kyrie. And the NFC... Eagles win the division, two games over the Dallas Cowboys at 8-8. Eight and eight. So you just heard Colin Coward who thinks the Eagles are going to win their division. Continuing on with our predictions for the NFC East, the Eagles open up week one at the Washington Redskins. Drew? That is a win. John? That's a win. Win! 1-0. Home against the Rams. That's another win. That's a win. Win. 2-0. and oh. Home against the Bengals. Win. 3-0. and Win. Hot start. At the 49ers. That's where I got to give them my first loss. Yeah, that's a loss. That's a win. 3-1. and At the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's a win. 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 4-1. and Home against the Baltimore Ravens. That's a surprising victory for the Eagles. It's a loss. Loss. All right, 4-2. Home against the New York Giants. Win. That's a win. 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 Five and two. Home against the Dallas Cowboys. That's another win. That's a win. Win. Six and two. Coming out of the bye at the New York Giants. That's a loss. It's a win. Win. Seven and two. At the Cleveland Browns. That's a big win. That's a win. Win. Eight and two. Home against the Seattle Seahawks. They're taking it. That's a win. That's a loss. That's a loss. Eight and three. Russell's going to win that on the road. No. Know that. You dude, know that. Gonna, no, Carson, dude, Carson's about to have an MVP season. All right, all right. At the Green Bay Packers. That is a win. That's a loss. That's a win. Nine and three. Home against the New Orleans Saints. That is a loss. That's a win. That's a win. It's going to be snowy. 10-3. At the Arizona Cardinals. That's a loss. That's a win. Sneaky loss. 10-4. At the Dallas Cowboys. That is a loss. 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 10-5. Finishing up the season, home against the Redskins. Gotta give them a win. Yeah, big dub. Win. 11-5, final record for the Eagles. So you got some idea of how to run an organization. Joe Judge has no idea how to run one. So Skip Bayless clearly doesn't like the Giants hire. Moving on to their schedule, they open up week one home against the Steelers. Drew? That's a week one loss. John? Loss. Loss. 0-1. At the Bears. That's another loss. I'm going to give them a dub. Loss. 0-2. Home against the 49ers. That is a loss. Blowout. Loss. 0-3. At the Rams. That's a surprising win. Loss. Loss. 0-4. At the Dallas Cowboys. That's a loss. That's a loss. Loss. 0-5. The battle of 0-5 teams, home against the Redskins. Uh, I have to give them (laughs) 0-6. Yeah, 0-6. It's a loss. All right, 0-6. At the Philadelphia Eagles. That's a loss. 
Loss. Loss. Owen seven. Home against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Monday Night Football. That is a loss to Tom Brady. Dub. Win. Fuck Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> At the Washington Redskins. That's a loss. That's a loss. That's a win. One and eight. Home against the Philadelphia Eagles. That is a win. Loss. Loss. One and nine. Please make their only win against Tom Brady. At the Cincinnati Bengals. That is a win. Win. Loss. Two and nine. Fuck you guys. <laughs> At the Seattle Seahawks. Loss. 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 Two and ten. Home against the Arizona Cardinals. It's a win. It's a big win. It's a loss. Two and eleven. Home against the Browns. That's a loss. That's a win. That's a win. Really? Alright, 3-11. At the Baltimore Ravens. That is a loss. 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 3-12. Home against the Dallas Cowboys That's to finish up the season. That's a loss. It's a loss. It's a loss. Alright, 3-13 season for the Giants. So, today we welcome PK Maservi to the Hangtime Headlines podcast. He is finishing up his gap year as he prepares to play baseball at Harvard next year. PK, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, uh, how have you been spending your gap year? Yeah, so the majority of it's probably been spent in the gym. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be able to go to Cressy Sports Farms, which is a gym near me, uh, probably five times a week for the past six months or so. Um, other than that, I have a hitting coach and a pitching coach that I've been working with on a weekly basis. And uh, I was supposed to be the assistant coach for my high school team, but Corona kind of... Um, ended the season so I wasn't really able to do that but other than that just some reading writing just trying to stay ready for classes how do you think that taking this gap year is going to affect your play so I mean essentially this gap year for me being like going to the Ivy League is, is kind of like a red shirt and for for other leagues and so essentially it's just like an extra year for me to just get bigger stronger um you know more mature mentally physically and I think that should translate really well to my play. I should honestly be better in just about every aspect of the game. And uh, PK, just real quickly, do you know what position you're going to be playing at Harvard? Are you going to be pitching or outfield? Yeah. So as of now, they have me. Um, they have me kind of coming in as a two-way. So essentially, I'll be playing outfield and pitching. Um, we'll see how that goes. Essentially, any way I can help the team, I'm happy to happy to do but as of right now I'm going to be playing playing outfield and pitching that's awesome I got an extra question for you too PK as you're kind of coming towards the end of your gap year are you like glad you took it would you recommend it to other players what are your just overall thoughts on it yeah honestly um it's probably been one of the best choices I've made in my life um it's really just given me time to be able to spend more time with my family which is something I was really wanting to be able to do but you know all the stuff from a baseball standpoint has been awesome for me um, but on top of that I feel like for people kind of going into college for the first time it might be a little overwhelming like you know there's a whole social scene and you know classes and all that stuff so having an extra year to just be able to visit a few of my friends at college and see how it's like and just kind of have that under my belt to come in with a little bit more knowledge I feel like is, is you know, been so beneficial. So how did you decide uh, Harvard was the right school for you? Yeah, so Harvard's essentially always been my, like, my dream school, really. Um, and so 
around my freshman year, I first went to a uh, baseball camp there with the coaches and um, like kind of got on their radar um, and you know stayed intact with them for the next few years. And they came to some of my games, and you now I was just kind of in constant communication with them. And um, it, you know, it was just a fit academically, athletically. Um, you know, I, I love the coaching staff, um, and so it, it's pretty near my home too. So it's just a fit, good fit all around for me. But what are some personal goals for the 2021 season? Yeah, so really just coming in and, and trying to make an impact any way I can. You know, as a freshman, I know that there are guys on the team that have been there for longer than me um, and might have a little bit more experience. So, and, you know, if there's anything I can do to help the team, you know, obviously I'm going to be working as hard as I can to try and, you know, get a starting spot on the team. Um, but really, however, however they want to use me, I'm just trying to be versatile, trying to be able to hit well if they want me to hit, trying to be able to go and play the field well if that's, that's what they want me to do or if they want me to come in and relief and throw some innings to be able to do that effectively. Really just try and stay as broad as I can in terms of what I'm able to do and just help the team however I can. What are some team goals for the 2021 season? Yeah, so, um, you know, in case anyone didn't know, we are still the uh, reigning Ivy League champions. And uh, this past season was canceled. Um, yeah, this the season before we were able to uh, to win the Ivy League championship and go to a regional, which is a really cool experience for for the guys. So, you know, winning another Ivy League championship, you know, got into a regional, making a run, um, kind of the same as as usual. Uh, can you talk about meeting your future teammates before you you play with them? Yeah, so I was at, I was able to uh, go on a visit with. Uh, the, a few of my teammates in November, I think it was, and um, was able to spend a night there on campus. And it was honestly one of my like favorite nights of my life. It was so cool to be able to be on campus with the guys. And I met, met almost the entire team, which was really cool. And they were all just really kind of laid back, down to earth guys. Like, I don't know about you guys, but for me, like, meeting Harvard students, I was like, oh my gosh, like, these guys go to Harvard. Like, it must be so smart. They must, you know, there's like kind of a a uh, stereotype that you can almost like think of when you think of like Harvard kids. But when I like went there and met these kids, they were just like so down to earth, like cool guys that um were just super nice and welcoming, and we're just really excited to be able to to play with me. So it was really cool. Who do you try to model your game after? If anybody? yeah, so being from Boston. Um, recently, Mookie Betts has been someone I've really looked up to. Um, I primarily play outfield. He's an outfielder. Um, and I feel like you can't really look up to someone better than Mookie Betts. I mean, he's you know a five-tool guy. He plays outfield like I do. Um, he's about my size, like six feet, 185-ish. So he's, he's just like a great fit in terms of what I aspire to be. Um, you know, he's such an athlete in the box when he's swinging. So... I watch a lot of his, his tape to try and model my game after. So what aspect of the, your game do you think is best, and where do you most want to improve? Uh, in terms of what I think is best, probably fielding. Um, yeah, I feel like I've always just naturally kind of had a gift with being able to play in the field. Like I feel like you can stick me out there with just about anyone in the country, and I can hold my own. So I would say fielding's probably my best in terms of what I want to improve on the most. Obviously, in all areas of the game, I can improve. Um, but in terms of hitting, I feel like that's one of the most important aspects of the game. You know, like if you hit, you don't sit. 
Um, so I'm trying to just work on my swing and, and really just be able to rake. PK, don't act like you were the best defensive fielder on the high school team. Everyone knows Freddie held that trophy. Get <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a cannon, unlike anyone else. <laughs> so, who is the best player that you've ever played with? Yeah, well, obviously, besides you guys, uh, probably Patrick or Mary. Um, I played with him just about up until middle school. Um, and I think he's an outfielder right now. I think in his second year in the Cardinals organization, he was drafted out of high school. Dude, you know, I remember this kid. He was far. on the uh, he was on the Rockies in Little League, right? Yeah. Yeah, I remember. He was he was a couple years younger than me though, so I was on my way out of Little League as he was headed in to the National League. But I, I do remember that name. Yeah. Yeah. All right, thank you so much for joining us, PK. It was awesome. You're a stand-up guy. Big things coming at Harvard next year. All right, awesome. Thank you. Good talking to you. Take care, bro. Yeah, you too. Balling crazy with the hang time.